episode 206, Lance Ulrich. Dude, you can practice basketball all you want. You can do X and AOs and game strategy, but at some point you just got to go out and play. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. Worlds they live by. For example, put the cookie down. Origins, biggest failures, fears, awakening moments, the alpha round, and their wake up question to finish. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, number one best selling author, TEDx speaker, and high performance specialist. And I'll be your host and guide through this journey. I have the tools and strategies you'll need to live life on your terms. Head over to ayalpha.com. Search Awaken Your Alpha on Facebook and you'll find a private group for the true fans of the show. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. As a TEDx speaker and a big NBA fan, this is why it's kicking off season three. So jump into this, hope you love it. We're back to the original, the old school, the origin of Arnold introducing the show. My original music, this is the origins, this is what it should be. This is Awaken Your Alpha. Get to the podcast. We have Lance Allred on the show. Lance, with his 15 principles of perseverance, is the first legally deaf player in the NBA, known as the Lion. He is a best-selling author of Basketball Gods and Longshot, and he's an expert on leadership, perseverance, and grit. Standing at six foot eleven tall, so just a little bit taller than me, and born with 80% hearing loss. Lance has had all people of his life placing limitations on him. Eventually, through his own will and choice, he went on to become the first deaf player in NBA history. September 2016, he did a TEDx talk, which we're going to be talking about in the interview. It's, it's nerve-wracking getting up there, but again, when you're here, if you've got to go watch that TEDx talk, um, how much, if, if Lance can do a TEDx talk, um, and overcome all of the barriers that people placed on him, you know, anyone has the potential to do that. So quite a long-winded uh, introduction there, Lance, but are you ready to awaken your alpha? Just do it. Thanks awesome. for having me. No worries. So, I mean, is there anything you'd like to add to that long-winded intro or pick out? As we said, less is more, and I went the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, it's just, I like your point of saying, um, that's my whole thing is, if me, the deaf kid, can put my hearing aids in every day, which is something I don't like doing, but push myself outside my comfort zone and travel around the world for 10 years playing basketball on every continent except Antarctica, um, what's anyone else's excuse? not to push themselves beyond their comfort zone and try something new Um, because everyone thinks they want the American dream, which is, you know, uh, whatever. Everyone has different wants, but what price are they willing to pay for it? You have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And I have a high threshold for discomfort. I was never given those luxuries because I was born and raised in this polygamous commune. So I didn't have the amenities around to learn sign language. There were no, there was no community there. So I had to learn to lip read and do speech therapy till I was 15, learning to talk this way. And every day, reminded when I put my hearing aids in or when the speech therapist came that I was different, that I wasn't quite normal. And so I always have been pushed outside my comfort zones. But here's the thing, we were not born to be caged within our comfort zones. Those are all illusions. And success and happiness or... Uh, Um, just a feeling of accomplishment is all outside your comfort zone. And so you can't stay inside your bubble and play it safe and expect all your dreams to come true. I've got to mention, I'll be referencing the talk and just to give you teasers, you've got to go look at it. But I mean, there was a video in there, a short clip in there of, um, you know, you speaking when you're 11 years old 
And like you said, yeah. talk, you literally you can't understand what you're saying. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's just, it's inspiring to see how, how, how obviously how far you've come in that sense. And obviously I do want to talk about basketball a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to prove right. that as well. Who helped awaken your alpha? So, I mean, you was in such a, obviously such a situation as it were and community and environment. Was there anyone within that who helped you kind of figure things out for yourself and kind of obviously change your path, whether in a basketball sense or in a kind of, you mentioned getting, getting out of there kind of sense. Oh, um, it's actually, so it's quite a remarkable story. My dad's second wife had left after I was born. So I actually grew up in a monogamous home. So it was normal for my cousins to have three or four moms and my dad's three other children, the second wife had left. So I only had um, one mom. And so my father was expected to be the heir apparent to this polygamous group, the all red group. Mm -hmm. But he came upon the knowledge that several of our leaders have been sexually abusing their kids for years. And we're like, if these are men of God, how is this possible? Yeah. And um, my parents were the only ones that left. And that instead of people being angry at our so-called prophets, they became angry with my father. And so again, that's the question, what is your polygamy? And that I learned at a very young age, religion for many of us is mostly psychological, has nothing to do with spirituality. And that's how I define cult mentality. Cult mentality is this, do you only hear what you want to hear? And by that definition, that applies to a lot of us, whether it's religion, politics, nationalism. And so, my father and my mother were able to put aside their own fragile ego and cut their losses and let go of the idea that they were special. Because mm. who would let that go if they didn't have to? Um, that they were God's chosen people that uh, we were all going to go to heaven. We were the only ones that left. And we actually had to go into hiding um, wow. for about six months. And so um, we, uh, my father and my parent, my mom, they taught me great lessons in standing in integrity. And um, no matter what the consequences are. And because of that, um, I've never had any respects for codes of silence. And also, here's a great irony, too. If I had to work this hard to be able to speak, um, communication is the thing I am most grateful for. But it's also the thing that most people take for granted. Yeah. And if I'm going to learn and work this hard to learn how to speak, I'm going to speak truth. And I will never not speak truth. And there's been many times where I've actually been in positions to challenge authority and people don't like me for it, especially here in Utah, because it's a very conservative state with traditions. And, um, but I see ironies, I see hypocrisies uh, with my hearing loss as a quiet world. And so I see people um, subconsciously, unconsciously, or maybe directly not functioning in integrity uh in double standards in hypocrisies and so my parents um showed me a lot of this how to awaken your alpha and never be afraid to speak truth and then also my oldest sister in this very patriarchal polygamous commune world um where women are expected to be very quiet and just get married and have kids right my sister at the age of 12 decided she wanted to be a medical doctor and when we escaped when we went into hiding, my sister was accepted into medical school at the University of Utah. And so she's always been a huge hero of mine too, yeah. about how to awaken your alpha. Absolutely awesome. 
And now I'm going to talk about sort of the basketball sense of things. When did that come along? Because I, I know, obviously, from talking hmm. to you as well, that you, you made the NBA when you were 27 years old. And that's, I mean, yeah. that's the sort of thing that's just inspiring, number one. Was this always kind of, were you one of them kids growing up where like you were very good at basketball and it was always like you were just a, a tunnel vision or did, how did it come out along? And obviously six foot 11, I'm also going to ask, what's not good about being six foot 11? I want to know some of the downsides to being six foot 11. <laughs> sure. Okay. Being six Positive foot 11. <laughs> try, six foot 11, try shopping for clothes. If you yeah, tear you your yes. pants on the road when you're about to speak and you tear your pants, you can't just walk into any store and buy a new pair of pants. <laughs> you're, you're done. Um, but then also uh, when you're six foot 11, not that I should be complaining because there's a lot of people that would like to be noticed that would like to be seen. But every day you have four or five people come up to you and just <laughs> ask you questions. All the generic, you know, how's the weather up there? Yeah. Uh, you play basketball. Um, and then they proceed to ask you even more personal questions as though they're entitled to know everything about you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so there's that. But then also you travel, you sleep in small beds in hotels around the world playing basketball. Yeah. And then trying to fly on planes, uh, little coach, international flights, because teams are cheap. They won't give you an exit row or a first class seat. So you oh, just. I, I feel folded up in like going on flights like yeah. over the sea, yeah. overseas. But geez, that, you must be like a deck chair just folded up. <laughs> yep. That's pretty much it. Sardines. So actually, so it's all kind of funny timing in that when we were escaping polygamy, we went into hiding. That year in eighth grade, I grew from 5'10 to 6'4. And I had never played organized basketball before then because my inner ear imbalance was so atrocious. Yeah. yeah I just wasn't considered an athletic kid. Yeah. And um, I was just playing Nintendo all the time. That's all I did. I was getting or Dungeons and Dragons, cool stuff like that. I was yeah. that kid. <laughs> he was a rock star. Um, <laughs> but um, we arrived at this new junior high and the basketball coach saw me walking down the hall one day. He said, hey, you, you should come play for the team. I'm like, okay, sure. I mean... I've never played basketball before, but I don't have any friends. And so it'd be a good way to make friends. And I don't really have to communicate with anybody. All I have to do is put a ball in a hoop. Yeah. Little did I know that team sports requires extreme amounts of communication. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> a little. And so due to sweat and concussion issues, I had to keep my hearing aids out. Yeah, I, again, because I, I just assumed, obviously, oh, that's how you, you had hearing aids or something like that. So when you was playing, it was just purely on the visuals. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so my very first game as a basketball player in eighth grade, I was ejected because the ref thought I was ignoring him. I saw and, something uh, about this. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so like it, 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 didn't, it didn't deter me. I'm like, yeah. all right, watch this. And um, <laughs> so I had to learn to be very different, uh, a very visual approach like a game of chess. But luckily as the big man also, yeah, with my back to the basket underneath the hoop, I could see all other nine players. I could see exactly where everyone was. Yeah. And, um, but also, once you start playing in the shot clock era, or in college or the pros, in 24 seconds, you can only run so many intricate plays in 24 seconds. So it all becomes pretty generic. You know, exactly. Yeah. And so, really, the defense has to give you something. There are standard plays that work just because they work. And so you learn to really just, you just figure that out. But also, it was my job on defense to be the one communicating. I had to do the talking. I had to scream out, screen left, mm -hmm. screen right. And I had to be the anchor on the D. Yeah. And there were times, yes, where my teammates, I would get screened and my teammates would try to communicate and I wouldn't hear it and I'd get clonked 
really hard. <laughs> I was to say, did you get many balls in the head when you was growing oh, up? Well, I, got, I got hit so many. I, I, People normally, the normal the shout is like, heads, watch out. And you're like, Poof. oh yeah. Um, honestly, I've, I've, I think I've had more concussions than I wanted to, and I want to admit. Yeah. It's just, it's just, you just don't see things sometimes. You don't hear them. Yeah. And, um, and so, but that's the price you pay. And, but I was willing to do other things like set hard screens, run, uh, rebound. Um, I wasn't the most athletic. I ran really fast, though. Was that, that's athleticism, but I wasn't the greatest leaper. Mm. But the thing about running really fast is it's a choice every time. If you just want to run your guts out every yeah. time. So that's how pretty much I got my NBA call up when I was 27, when I was playing in the minor league, because I just ran the floor. I outran everybody. And so as a big guy, when you, out, when you outrun everybody, it's valuable for your team yeah. because it makes the defense collapse and it opens up shots for everybody else. And stuff like that, that everyone thinks you have to have. I love, I love that. That's because, again, I mean, my background is athletics, so track and field. Um, sport, yeah. and I, but basketball i absolutely love and um <laughs> yeah so when i when i play um i'm that guy who just runs like because mm-hmm. you know, i mean it's good it's to be talented, but at the end of the day and people think i'm really fast but i don't think i am i'm just there i just you know, i just keep going and like it's, just, it's to. a transition yeah it's just every yeah. time i get so many like free baskets or you know opens it up and even it's if true. i don't get the ball it just it opens it all up like you said uh, you're right that was my strategy but for big men you don't really see that mentality no. when did you finish college and like 27 into the nba i mean that sounds yeah. reasonably late is it reasonably yeah late? It is. it's very late i'm so on average most kind of kids people, you kind of it doesn't sound like you're the kind of guy to give up but do, was that still in your mind like were you still goal oriented in terms of you wanted to get there or oh yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because every goal I have written down in my life has come true. And that I started writing down my goals when I was 14, started playing basketball. And that every goal I write down, I put it above my light switch. And every time I touch my light switch, I have to read it three times. And so maybe a little OCD, but it gets embedded into your subconscious. Yeah. And here's the thing about the law of attraction. It's been so hijacked. It's just out of control that people say, oh, if you want something bad enough, the universe will conspire to give it to you. Like, oh, I can't just wish for a pony and then a pony is going to appear. Yeah. Here's how the law of attraction works is that you set an intention, you read your goals, and then the universe or source, whatever word you want to use, the intuition comes to you that says, this is what you have to do to make this dream come true. 95% of the world will stop reading their goals because the intuition is going to tell them what they want, but that's too much hard work. They don't want to have to work for it. They think they're entitled to it. The thing is, I've never felt entitled to anything. I never felt I was owed anything, ever. And um, so when I was a late bloomer, and so for three years, I woke up at 5 a.m. every morning, and my parents didn't have to wake me up. I slept with the alarm clock on my chest, and I would bike through rain, sleet, or snow to my high school, and I'd practice with my coach in the morning. I was a late bloomer. And here's the thing is, yes, I'm 6'11". That's nice, but 6'11 only gets you so far. It gets you a Division One scholarship. And I have a lot of people that say, oh, if I was 6'11, I would have played in the NBA too. I'm like, I bet you have an excuse for everything. And they don't know the price that's paid. Mm. And um, because once you get to the pros, it's all, once you get to college, I mean, it's, it's all, it's, yeah, it's all, yeah, the numbers all even out. Yeah, I and, was going to say, six eleven. yeah, that's to a, like an average height, that's tall. But once you, let's say, yeah. once you're in that environment, six eleven, mm-hmm. big deal. Most people are. Like, there's, you're, you're around it, that's, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when was a time, I mean, we always say like about, you know, perseverance and grit and moving forwards mm-hmm. and, 
you know, just having that in your, in your mind and just keep moving. But when was the time when that was really challenged for you? I went and played at the University of Utah. In 1998, they lost to Kentucky in a national championship game. I only lived three blocks away from the U. So it was kind of like what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my coach there, uh, Rick Majerus, uh, at first we got along great because he was a brutal taskmaster and I could never do enough. Because also there, I had this old story uh, at the age of five I, five, I had a Sunday school teacher tell me that God had made me deaf as a form of punishment, that I had done something wrong in the pre-existence. Oh. And so what is your polygamy is I still had this story in my head, even after we break away. But when you're a five-year-old kid, you don't really know how to discern fact from fiction. You're just absorbing all the information around you and you're doing your best to call it a reality. And so we all do that as humans. We, we have so much baggage from our parents and our community that we take it into our adult lives and we're operating from that foundation when we might not realize that foundation is severely flawed. Mm-hmm. And so I have the story that I had to be the first deaf player in NBA history. And then, you know, God would love me. And so I put this coach, coach Majerus on a pedestal because he had, he was getting players to the NBA and I thought he was going to get me to the NBA. Yeah. So I would work my guts off. And, but then sophomore year, Coach Majerus was cussing us out one day. He looked at me and said, Lance, you know, you're the worst of all. You use your hearing as an excuse to weasel your way through life, and you're just a disgrace to cripples. And if I was in a wheelchair and I saw you play basketball, I'd shoot myself. So that broke me. That crushed me. And so I was about to quit. And I had basically, I'd been blackballed in that I only got one scholarship offer to after having several scholarship offers in how to high school. I even got one when I left Utah that was go play at Weber state because the head coach there had at one point been an assistant for coach Majerus at Utah. So he knew what went on behind closed doors. And that's the thing about sports. You have to realize you probably know this too, is that once you get to a certain level out of high school, once you get to the college level, it's about entertainment. It's about money. People don't care about your feelings. You're a gladiator, entertain them. And so Whatever Majerus did, people would turn a blind eye to as long as he kept winning. Winning solves everything. And they, and they think the ends justify the means, but they really don't. But that's the culture of sports. Mm. It's a gladiator world. And so I went to Weber and actually did well at Weber. In my senior year, I led the nation in rebounding. I lost in the conference tournament championship game by two points, but I led the nation in rebounding at 12.0 rebounds per game. And I only got one NBA workout. That was to go practice for the Utah Jazz against a guy who was so out of shape he couldn't finish the workout. Yeah. But the Jazz still drafted him in the second round because he may or may not, his agent, had, may or may not have had three other players on that team. Mm. And so you realize as much as we want and we're sold this illusion that professional sports is all pure merit and talent. Um, the top 30% of players in the NBA are there because they're flat out the best athletes in the world. The other 70%, it comes down to really a lot of it luck and timing who, yeah, you know, you like connection. business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's a business. It's a nasty business. And so that broke my heart. My very first job, I got a hundred thousand dollar contract offer over in Istanbul. I'm thinking for a rookie, not bad. Let's go do this thing. And um, so it actually ended up being a six-year college career because, one, I chose too late not to go on something called an LDS mission. That's when I stopped going to church. So I actually had to sit out my first year as a freshman, uh, redshirt, two more years. So I was 24 when I graduated from college. And the average NBA player is drafted when they're 20 or 21. So I was 24. So people were already saying, I'm way old. I'm old. Yeah, it's not good. Um, so I went over to Istanbul and we were playing really well 
too well, in fact, that the coach and the owner, they said, oh, wow, we're number two in the league right now, and our center is only a rookie. Imagine if we had a more experienced center, we might be number one. <laughs> That's the thing about playing pro sports is that wow. you have a lot of owners and coaches that never played basketball. Here's the thing about when you play overseas, when you sign a contract outside the United States, it doesn't really mean anything. It means that's a guideline. That's the most you're going to get paid. Yeah. If you add up the money that I'm owed around the world, it's about $900,000 that I never made. Um, from teams bankrupt um, or folding twice. I, I did lawsuits and I won. One time the team just went bankrupt and folded. The other time it was just a wash and lawyer's fees after three years of all that stuff. Yeah. Wow. And um, so it's a nasty business and people think it's all glitz and glamour, but just like any profession, you see the top 10% you think that's amazing, but it's yeah. not. And so, so I was going to say when you're around 26, 27, what happened in that season? Um, and what was it like when you, I don't know, I was going to say when you get the call, is it a call mm -hmm. or what the hell happened? And like, it, was it, it like, was Christmas or what? it <laughs> was, it was amazing. And so, um, I went to team in Spain after that job, injured my knee, team there said it was a pre-existing condition. They didn't have to pay for it. So I went home my first year professionally, broke, in debt, paying for my own knee, uh, rehabbing on my parents' sofa. I only got one job off of the next year. That was to go play for the Idaho Stampede up in Boise, Idaho, a minor league team for the Utah Jazz in the NBA Development League, yeah. making $900 a month. And I only got that job to be the media guy to learn how to do radio and TV interviews. And I very easily could have said the hell with you guys, but instead I stuck it out. And there was a stretch there. I didn't play for about six weeks uh, because I was just the token guy at the end of the bench who did all the media stuff because they thought I wasn't good enough to play. And so I'm 25, turning 26 weeks. I'm stressed out. I have ulcers. I'm, this is a long story short, I'm going over a lot of things. And um, within one week, starting center broke his leg, starting power four got bought out, ironically, the same team in Turkey I'd played for. And so he was gone. And then the starting center got recalled to the Seattle Supersonics at the time. And by default, I became the starting center. And we we're playing in Bismarck, North Dakota for the first game on the road. And the coach is all stressed out. He's like, Lance, we just signed somebody today. He'll be here tomorrow, but tonight you got to start. I know you haven't played in a while. You know, just play it safe. Keep it simple. Set some screens, get some rebounds, maybe get two uh, or four points off. Opportunity. Opportunity. <laughs> You're ready and to go. The thing is, my, game, my practice time was my game time for that season. And that when it was practice, even if my teammates didn't need me on the fast break, I was going to sprint with them every time and get yeah. that extra stride in. I would even go further and touch the baseline every time. And yeah, my teammates laughed at me. They thought I was being ridiculous. But when my number was called that game, my first game as a starter, I gave him 30 points and 10 rebounds. And I was able to play 40 minutes because I made sure that I knew, I believe in the laws of physics that say for every action is equals an opposite reaction. And I knew if I kept putting in and putting in, I would get one shot, one. Didn't mean I was owed anything more than that. I just knew by the law of balance and nature, I was going to get one shot. And so I was going to make sure that when it came, I was going to be ready to take it. And uh, from there, I just kind of lit the D-League on fire. I was 22 points and 13 rebounds a game. And then I uh, was getting ready to play the Utah Flash, a D-League team here in Utah. My family's here. And when I was doing that, uh, my coach got the phone call that said I've been called up to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so it was a fun day. Wow. About to share it with wow. my family. I was going to say, so what year was that um, that you got called up to? 2008. 2008. 
So they were yeah. they have fully had LeBron James at that stage. Yeah, no, we had we had LeBron, we had LeBron, um, and I enjoyed playing with LeBron. We had good times, and um, uh, that's the year we lost to Boston in Game Seven. Uh, the year they had Garnett and Paul Pierce, and they went and won the championship. And uh, I always like to believe that we would have gone on to win it too, because we had a good team: Ben Wallace, Wally Serbiak, Junior Soljaskis, LeBron. Um, Boston went on and crushed um, the Lakers in the championships in the finals. And so, uh, but then here's the thing is, um, it was a great ride, it's a great run, but then 2008, the economy collapses. Mm. So next fall, most teams are releasing their 14th and 15th roster spots to save money. And that was no exception. Yeah. And so, you have a dream, it's amazing. But then also, it's like, wait, why don't I feel any different? I'm here, I've achieved my dream. Why don't I feel like, you know, somehow God loves me more or whatnot? Because I've been doing this whole foolish game of attaching my self-worth to an outcome. That somehow, whether it's a new job, a new car, a new lover, that means that that'll complete me. And that's a lie. That's an illusion. And um, so these are hard lessons, hard experiences, extremely high highs with extremely low lows that have really brought me to this quintessential truth that, again, love is either unconditional or not love at all. And my self-worth is never attached to any outcome. In terms of your book that's coming out, so apart from obviously the, the logistics of giving a great TED talk, but what are some of your like top tips for you know getting a million plus views? Um, September, it's, it's pretty recent, your talk, and yeah. don't just say be an NBA player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's um, the thing. I guess what what, what do you think? Something's helped. Um, so the number <laughs> I tell people too is that you know when people always think, oh, I have such good. I'm going to wait till I get on Big Ted. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give you an analogy. As a basketball player, I only have one real regret in my career. That's I played two years at the University of Utah, and then I transferred to Weber State University, and. From Weber State, I went on to become a professional basketball player. So the thing is, as an athlete, we think we have to go to these big-time schools and universities. No, you really don't. Because in this day and age with the internet and social media, if you can play ball, you're going to be found. And I've had a lot of teammates throughout my pro career that went to like no-name schools, but they were a heck of a good player because they got the chance and the opportunity to play. And you can practice all you want, but the best way to be in basketball shape is to play basketball. And the best way to be a better basketball player is to play basketball. And so I tell people, if I could do one thing over again, I would have just gone to Weber State right out of the gate and played from a freshman to a senior. Same analogy for TEDx. What you want to do is you figure out what is your passion, figure out the right demographic. Let's say your passion is barbecuing beef. I don't know, right? So you probably want to say, hey, is there a TEDx event around Tennessee, Memphis, stuff like that. You figure out what your demographic is. That way, the selection committee in that area, you have to realize they're not just thinking about broad strokes with a general audience. They're thinking about what topic is their immediate local live audience going to want to hear. That's what they're thinking about. The year before last, the Mormon Church came out with a policy that said that children of gay people cannot be baptized into the Mormon faith, which was kind of discriminatory. Well, yeah. But yeah, pretty harsh, right? And so um, you have, but then they, they justified it by saying, just as we've done with children of polygamists, we now do it with children of gay people, as though somehow that absolved um, and was like the baseboard for the vindication of their intolerance. Yeah. 
And so I actually wrote an article in the Salt Lake Tribune saying, wait a minute, hold on, time out. Here's what happened. You're actually you're using the kids as pawns. Mm. Uh, to, and those kids now become the brunt in their social uh, circles in more Utah, where it's very predominantly Mormon. If these kids can't be baptized, they're always going to kind of stick out. And so because it was such a hot issue, and polygamy is once again being brought up and yeah. affiliated with justification for, uh, you know, the children of gay people. That's why I figured, oh, you know what? This is the perfect time. Yeah, what a title for your TED talk. Yeah, what is polygamy? What is your polygamy? So it's a perfect time for the local audience in Salt Lake City. Um, if you're just telling people what they want to hear and making them comfortable mm. and taking their money, you're basically just stealing their money. Mm. People only remember things when they or they learn new things, I should say, when they're out of their comfort zone, when they're, when they're thinking about something different. That's when they remember things. And so I have a way of making people uncomfortable without being like a dick about it, yeah. I guess. I, I, I started dividing TED Talks into three different categories. Um, there was head, heart, and soul. Yeah. Head, head, of the, head of the people that come out and they're just really smart, professor, kind of sound, kind of sound stuffy, you know, maybe a little bit boring. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that was good information, but I'm not going to remember it. But yes, again, people they know their stuff to a different yeah. level, but that's why, like you say, you can get. But this stuff, I love. I research the same stuff as well. It just, I can listen to this sort of stuff all day. It is just awesome. Yeah. Like, no, sorry, carry on. <laughs> just oh yeah. And um, then there's heart, where people who are really passionate about it, they're really excited, but maybe they don't have a lot of data, mm. or maybe they don't have a lot of actual experience with it, or maybe they do. But the third one is the soul. Mm. We actually choose to be vulnerable. The greatest example I had was Brene Brown's Power of Vulnerability TED Talk. Mm. And she had all three, the head, the heart, and the soul. Mm. And that's what makes her talk one of the greatest of all time. The real power behind the talk came actually because it was me going through the grieving cycle of my marriage. From my background in polygamy, I grew up in a, a world, a culture that we didn't have feelings. We didn't, you're always happy and peaceful or else it's the devil tempting you. So it's a lot of oppressed emotions. And so it was me actually finally learning how to grieve and go through the grieving cycle of my marriage. Because when I started asking, what is your polygamy? I couldn't be asking that question if I wasn't going to be willing to walk that talk. Yeah. And as soon as I started writing all this out, I realized, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I, I, just, I held up a mirror to my face the entire time. And so that was where the real power and authenticity came. And people have to realize there is great strength in vulnerability, mm. great strength in there. Yeah. And that yeah. We always think we have to be polished, but that's the problem with social media. I tell everyone it's an illusion. It's not real. And I didn't make the NBA until I was 27 years old. Whoa. And so there was that no, is, there was no. so inspiring. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't play basketball with my hearing aids in uh, because of sweat and concussion issues. So I always had to be thinking just outside the box, playing it like a game of chess, doing things differently. But people kept putting limitations on me all the time. And, um, but I just never gave up. And here's the thing is, um, my little turn of phrase is the essence of leadership is perseverance and the essence of, uh, the essence of perseverance is grit. The essence of grit is choice. Do you choose to get back up every time you get knocked down? Mm. Simple as that. Yeah. And you can read all the books you want. You can read all the cheat sheets and everything. 
But at the end of the day, it's choice. As simple as that. And so with that being said, um, if people knew how many times I have failed, uh, it would blow their mind. But I choose to get back up every time. And so because of that, I know there is no magic wand. There's no cheat sheet to instant fame or success. Sure, you have the anomalies and weird things like we all know how Kim Kardashian got famous. She was Paris Hilton's friend who made a tape. And then, wow, all of a sudden, that's, that's a lottery win. You, that's, that's, you, can't, you can't duplicate that. Um, for all I know is that um, it's delayed gratification because instant gratification isn't worth having. It just isn't. It's meaningless. And so through all that, with the TED Talk, I was able to apply, apply in a lot of these uh, methods that I have as far as basketball goes. And then, so number two, I guess, as far as finding the right demographic, number two is make sure it's good content. Yeah. Make sure it's something new, something unique, and it's original. Um, don't just be regurgitating someone yeah. else's stuff. And so number three, after good content, your title. Title is 90% of it. You have to make sure your title is very catchy. Yeah. (laughs) You think about it. um, You look at all these titles, and there's a lot of titles out there. They're kind of like, really? Um, But because it's so salacious and different, that's why it has over a million views, but the content really isn't very good. Yeah, because it gets people, you just got a hook to get people, oh, I want to at least have a look. Oh, what's this about? Yes. uh, Yeah. I'm actually even going to look and see if I can, because... I when I put in, and this is, I mean, if anyone's listening, it's a practical tip in terms of, I had my main title, like quite simple, Awaken Your Alpha, and then there's a yeah. subtitle. Yeah. Um, and I gave that a little bit of thought, but I just put it in, I thought it was a subtitle, more just kind of like the, like the description. They kind of chucked the whole thing up there. So it just, it's, it's way too long. <laughs> They've done like, the title is just like the subtitle, like a paragraph. I'm just like, oh, like, sorry. I need to, yeah, I need to like get them, yeah. rejig that because... I look mm-hmm. at it and I'm just like, oh, like mm-hmm. it's not clear. So again, it's that thing like using 10 words when four will do. So. Exactly. And um, so like humans are humans. We can say, oh, don't judge a book by a cover. That's what people do. You still, it's just like you look at this fancy cover of a book. Oh, that looks pretty. I'll, look, I'll click on that. Mm, obviously, you got to be passionate about it and not just useful for now. But this thing is going to, in a good way, follow you for a long time. So you yes. could, uh, I think it really helps with the clarity, like we were talking about making sure you're very sure on what you're saying and using the right words. But also, you know, you don't want to t- look around in even like two years and think, oh, for me, that you know it's something that you're going to yeah. believe. I had that with, uh, I did a book a few years ago and um, yes. the, the little things that, and I'm just like, oh, and I know it's following me and it almost, mm-hmm. that's why I was yeah. like, right, for a TED talk, I'm going to talk about something that I know is I'm not going to, you know, a couple of years down the line go, actually, I disagree with that now. You know? <laughs> I'm trying to oh, go watch my TED talk and they're like <laughs> yeah, the complete opposite yeah <laughs> that's a really good point because um, I had that same thing too it's like I want to make sure just the lifespan of this talk outlasts me yeah that was my goal it's like I want to make sure that in five years from now because my first book that was published by HarperCollins uh, Longshot it was published in 2009 and a couple of months back I, I tried reading it I'm like who is this person? <laughs> who this person is? And so, but that's life. It makes you grow up and everything. We've covered so much. So I'm going to go into really our alpha round and try and get a few 
few little bits of uh, tips, tools, resources from you yeah. amongst all this journey. Is there ever, again, I should have given you warning, so I'm going to drop this on you a bit. Is there either a, a quote or a, an ethos that you like to live your life? In every locker room that I played in, in my locker room, I always put up Dylan Thomas's, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And that's always been my ethos. And, uh, and my jersey number is number 41. And uh, when I was in high school, Dave Matthews, back when he was a good band, um, he had a song called Number 41. And, uh, and there's a lyric in there that says, I will go in this way and I will find my own way out. And so I always knew that was kind of foreshadowing for what my path was going to be. And so it was always, I'm going to go out on my terms. I'm going to do it the way I want to. And so do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Awesome. Love it. What's some of the best advice you've ever had? My grandmother, when I was 10, there was one day I was just mad because my aunt, I was business staying with my aunt at the time. She gave me this ridiculous chore list, like a 95 thesis for Martin Luther, just chores, right? And I was just mad because I wanted to be hanging out with my cousins. And so my grandma came outside and helped me start ranking pine needles. And she says, nobody likes work, but that's what we do. Yeah, it's hard work, but it's what we do. Yeah, yeah. And my grandmother looking me in the face and telling me that there are many times in the games when I'm tired, I'm exhausted in practice, I don't want to run under the suicide. Her voice would always come into my mind and say, nobody likes hard work, but it's what we do. And uh, that's always stuck with me. We've mentioned your books and you've, done, you've written a couple of books. Um, but along that, is there a particular book that's an, either an all-time favorite for yours, of yours or one you like to recommend or it could just be your, your, kind of like your, mm -hmm. your book of the month or something you've read recently? The, the one that I promoted in my TEDx talk was um, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, a very powerful book for me because it talks about the underdog. And my story very much is the underdog in that um, uh, I had a sixth grade teacher one day before this concept even came to be uh, something commonly talked about. She sat me down one day. She said, Lance, you don't hear well. And so your brain has had to learn to adapt and see the world in a very different way. And you're trying very hard to understand. And people are going to misunderstand you. And they're going to think you're arrogant. They're going to think you're difficult. They're going to think you're stubborn. Don't listen. Just keep doing what you have to do. And in David and Goliath's book, it talks about how people with uh, uh, learning disabilities or dyslexia or whatnot, a lot of them actually go on to be very successful entrepreneurs mm. because they don't think inside the box. They're always thinking about different things. And so that's why as a basketball player, coaches love me, but they also were so frustrated with me sometimes because I'm like, this is so archaic. What we're doing is not working. I know you think this is the formula to success, but actually, as Darwin said, the formula to what makes a species survive, it's not their strength or their speed. It's their ability to adapt. Mm. And um, that's kind of what I've always uh my mind does is that I just take in information. I figure out, wait, this is, this doesn't work. This does. And so it's a great book, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Are there any kind of either resources or tools and tips around? I'd more say resources. Cause I think we covered quite a lot of tips resources around firstly, what you think in terms of has helped you or something you did 
regularly as a basketball player that helped you get to that level. Um, but also I'm going to talk about the kind of like the, the professional speaking, the TEDx type style. Is there any uh, tools, tips, resource around motivational speaking or speaking in general? Uh, yeah. Watch and steady people. YouTube's amazing because you can watch basketball players. You can watch motivational speakers. You can watch them and you can figure out what people respond to by their likes. But also, because I grew up in polygamy, I know what a charlatan looks like. So <laughs> uh, I see a lot of speakers in, the, in this public speaking world that I know they talk a good game, but I can, I can read through it. And I can see that once they step off stage, they're very much a, a different person. And so my thing is, find people that you admire. Mm. Uh, duplicate what they're doing that's successful. But at the end of the day, you have to be original in something. You have to do something a little bit different. So you take in all these other moving pieces, whether you're a basketball player or a speaker, because I did the same thing. I love your question. I love Tim Duncan. I love Carl Malone. Um, oh, the mild, Larry, that's, that's, that's I, taking me back. <laughs> I, I love Larry Bird. And so, yeah, I was a six foot 11 basketball player, but I also won a horse trophy at NBA All-Star Weekend in 2008. And so... Um, I was always doing different things clever with the ball. And I scored more with my left hand than I did my right hand, even though I'm right-handed. That's how I played basketball in the post. Is that I was just going to be ambidextrous. Plus, it's also good for your brain chemistry balance because you're activating both sides of the brain. The end package has to be something very, very unique in you. People that know me that watch me play, especially in the D-League, they'll say that, yeah, Lance was somebody different. There was only one me. So that's the same challenge. Um, granted, I do have the luxury um, just because of circumstance. As far as being a deaf polygamous kid to ever make the NBA, I've sort of cornered the market when it comes to motivational speaking. I mean, there's not another one. Yeah, what? no. I put so, it like I'm number like, five out of <laughs> Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I Some people I have, see that as a barrier, wouldn't they, though? It's like... Yeah, they would. Yeah, they would have said there's a limitations. But now that I'm actually successful doing it as a motivational speaker... A lot of people are actually very threatened by me, all these other speakers in the public speaking world, because obviously they're jealous and upset, or they're upset about it. They can't but there's no need on the same term. They can't. They can't. But here's my challenge to them. Okay, but you have to do something original and different. Mm. You can't just trying to you can't just try to be another Gary Vaynerchuk. You can't just try to be another Tony Robbins. You really have to figure out. What is it that you can do that's different? What is your message? What is your voice? How are you going to connect with your audience that's different, that they will remember that? And so that is what I would suggest. Research, know who's out there, know the competition, know the market, but really figure out what is it that makes me different? Just in kind of closing up, who would you recommend I interview next for Awaken Your Alpha? And I usually use ask for two um, recommendations. One kind of... It doesn't have to be a hidden gem, but from your network that you think maybe, maybe you think they'd be spot on for this show, but maybe they haven't been exposed so much. And then someone, it can be from your network too, because this could be kind of a crossover both that you don't think I could get, but you would love it if they were on here and you would listen in. So I, for example, someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm going to get him. I just did a question. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so just a couple of recommendations. Oh boy. So I would suggest there's somebody named uh, Jason Hewlett. Jason yeah. He's a, he's a comedian that used to headline in Vegas, but he's got a great story. He does a lot of emceeing now and some yeah. motivation speaking. He's a good guy to have. I okay. think you're like, 
he's funny as all gets out, but a real authentic guy. You'll like him. Really nice guy. Genuine guy. And uh, go ahead and try to get my old teammate, LeBron. Good luck. I was going to say that. Good luck. <laughs> so you, you don't have him on speed dial then. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That'd be a good one. Well, that's a really good question. Thank you so much for spending this time. I know this is probably one of my longest interviews ever. So I apologize if you've, I've kept you late for anything. But I mean, is there anything else you want to like add in closing? And what's the best way can people can connect to you? Um, obviously, they should go and check out the TED Talk. They can obviously, that'll be in all in the links. But what's the best yeah. way people can connect if they want to find out more about you? Uh, you can find me at Lance Allred 41. That's my handle and also my website, Lance Allred 41, A-L-L-R-E-D, the number 41, Lance Allred 41. And in closing, I want everyone to promise me that if you hear my message, make me this promise that you choose to get back up every time you get knocked down one more time, every time. Love it. Watching your TED talk, as I say, I've watched quite a lot. I love that sort of stuff. And genuinely, I I absolutely loved it. And one of the things you mentioned in there is that you hope that you'd be one of the greatest communicators in the world. And if you're not there, you're well on your way. And I know it's, it's that's what this show is all about, the pursuit of the alpha, whatever that means to you, but just bringing it every day and just, just keep going, man. It's absolutely awesome. It's been a pleasure to have you on today. Adam, thank you for just a wonderful hour you gave me of your time. Cheers. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Do the little guy a favor. Subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my bag. This is the origins. This is what it should be. This is Awaken Your Alpha. Head over to ayalpha.com. Search Awaken Your Alpha on Facebook. Find our private group, a great community for the true fans of the show where you can interact with all the guests and myself on a daily basis. Awaken Your Alpha is well and truly back. Join the Alliance.